What is up, everyone? And thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Bricks and Bytes podcast, your go-to for all things construction and property technology. Today's podcast follows a slightly different format in that we have two guests, April Moss of DigiBuild and Lynn Cooper of both DigiBuild and ELSEA. Both Lynn and April are two high-flying women in a male-dominated industry and are living proof that females really can succeed in construction. In our discussion, we talk about blockchain in the construction industry, attracting young talent with technology and leadership lessons from two of the finest leaders in construction tech. If you're enjoying our podcast, please check us out on Spotify or Apple or wherever you get your podcasts from. And please leave us a review. This helps us get more amazing guests to give you guys the best and most informative content on technology in the built world. And shout out to our sponsor, Beta. If you want to connect with some of the biggest players in construction tech world, including tier one building contractors, some of the biggest construction tech companies, investors and advisors, check them out by visiting www.the-beta.com. That's www.the-beta.com. You are listening to Bricks and Bytes podcast, where we take you on a journey in construction, technology and business. All right, let's get this episode started. Hey guys, so we're doing something slightly different today. We are live in a studio in London with April and Lynn of DigiBuild. Lynn is a co-founder and COO of WellChain, ELSEA, a public speaker, ambassador for the construction life sciences, amongst many other high positions, and April, COO of DigiBuild and has held other high positions at companies such as Procter & Gamble and Starbucks. So guys, welcome to our first studio podcast. Great to have you here. Hey, Martin as well. Um, yeah, cool. So can you guys give us a little bit about, um, let's talk about you first and then we will go on to DigiBuild and ELSEA. Yeah, great. So uh, personally, I spent uh, my career 21 years in consumer products goods companies, Procter & Gamble. Um, I did product supply, logistics, sales, operations. My last position with them was running North America operations for their second largest customer team. And then I went on to uh, work a couple years with Starbucks internally and built out their first ever retail organization, managed that for a few years. And then I went on to work for a brokerage who worked for with working with uh, top consumer products goods companies. Learned a lot there. It was a blast. A lot of company acquisitions, building out teams, kind of did the gamut as part of their executive leadership uh, team. As far as construction goes, um, did stint with Construction Specifications Institute, then a little bit of real estate. And then my personal story is I grew up in construction. My dad was a contractor, subcontractor. He loved what he did. And my personal story of why I really believe in what we're building out. Uh, DigiBuild has to do with my father and his lack of access to construction projects. And so we'll get a little bit more of that later. Yeah, sure. And interestingly, your background is not in construction, which I think is super (laughs) interesting topic in itself. And Lynn? In terms of my background, I grew up in the general contractor world. And soon after... That fell into working in life science projects, so projects that focus on the research and development of treatments and therapies to provide cures, and then couldn't get out of it. It's something once you get in and you have a why, you don't ever want to go out. Mm -hmm. So it's been a long ride. It's been a fun ride, but it's always new and different things. 
after being a general contractor, I then got onto the other side of the table from those general contractors as an owner's representative. And that's where I sit today is, is working as an owner's advocate and giving them the data they need and empowering them to make the best decisions for their businesses. Mm-hmm. She's a rock star in that, <laughs> in that industry. <laughs> Sounds cool. Can you tell us a little bit more about Digibuilt and what is it all about? Who are your customers? Yep. Um, so uh, Digibuilt started. Uh, Robert Salvador is our CEO. He grew up in construction and he was also a big crypto fan. Hmm. And like so, Martin. Yes, yes. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that. So um, his goal was to, he saw some of the use cases with blockchain. And since construction is just, it's, you know, many different owners coming together and trying to, um, the transparency and the trust within the industry is pretty low. And so he was just thinking, hey, you know, blockchain might be one of those uh, software things that we could use to build our product on. And so he, that's where it started. So what DigiBuild builds is we have a procurement tool called DigiProcure and we'll we'll do takeoffs for the construction uh, industry, but we do the bidding. We'll go out and find suppliers or work with suppliers uh, for construction owners or uh, general contractors or subcontractors. So if you're a contractor and you're looking to get multiple prices yeah. for like uh, dry lining or concrete, whatever it might be, then they can use DigiProcure for that, right? Yes. And we'll go out and get, you know, 10, 15 different bids. We'll start local. We'll go global. doesn't matter what the industry is. In fact, Lynn, one of the things that we're working on is she's introducing uh, DigiBuild to the life sciences. A little bit different procurement process mm-hmm. than most, but we're really excited about that. So, um, so yeah, we do the order. We uh, bid, order, track, and report back um, all the statistics on where the product's at, has it been ordered? And it's all tied back into the project schedule, which is really important. And mm-hmm. so what um, owners and uh, general contractors love about it is that they can actually uh, see what's happening at any given time throughout the process of that ordering. We don't share, obviously, the subcontractor's pricing, but uh, they at least get to be participate in that. So they're informed. So Very they're not, informed. And they're not constantly calling like, What's going on? What's going on? They can just log into somewhere and see it. They see what's going on. And what they love about our product is we've added in a kind of a white glove service. And we really didn't start that way, but it's kind of just ended up where we have a person in there. Oh, yeah, don't do this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's something new we're learning. We're learning. So. <laughs> I am very hands-oriented, so I can be expressive. So anyway, right. um, so what we do is we have white glove service where we have someone that if we see at any given point within the system that we haven't had suppliers or manufacturers get back to us, we'll call them up and track them down and and report that back through the system. So again, we'll record it in there and everybody sees everything. Mm-hmm. I really want to touch on like a bit about you and Y Combinator. That's like a hot topic in the in the startup world. And also, what was the other program you were on? The US yes, or the Meet was the on? Drapers. Meet the Drapers. Yeah. Is that like a, the Apprentice or something? That well, we have it's, it's like Shark Tank. Um, okay. oh, which is like Dragon's Den. It, yeah, like Dragon's Den here. Yeah, we watched that. That was pretty cool. <laughs> I, I'm a big Shark Tank fan. Um, oh. So anyway, Meet the Drapers is kind of like a a smaller version of that. And it's uh, Tim Draper is really big into blockchain and investing in companies. So he has this little TV program where you come and pitch. And what's really cool about it is that you have this massive audience. Yeah, I watch my hands. This <laughs> massive audience. <laughs> you start doing an M&M. Like. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so we have this massive audience that got to vote. So um, if, you know, you we were trying to, 
get obviously first, second, or third place. Uh They invest in you. But part of that program is you had to be part of a crowdfund, Mm. which, you know, we were looking for regular investors. We're like, oh, I don't know about crowdfund. But it was an amazing experience. It was so exciting having the audience involved and people who understood construction, the people that were involved in that and invested in us, a lot of them really understood the pain points. So it was real exciting to go through that. And it was right after that, we'd applied for Y Combinator two times and we're going on our third and we're like, oh, are we ever going to get in? And we finally got in and it was an absolutely amazing experience. Great. Going back to DigiBuilt, where's the intersection between blockchain and DigiBuilt and what you do in within DigiBuilt? Yeah. So blockchain is just the underpinning software, right? So everybody, whether if you own a house or you're doing business, you understand lien waivers, right? So lien waivers is like, if you want to get paid by the owner or the GC, you have to sign a waiver saying, oh yeah, I'm not going to sue you or any of that mm-hmm. stuff. So every time you want to get paid or you know, a couple of times throughout the project, you have to sign this waiver. And with blockchain, because of the trust that's involved in that, you can do it one time and that's it. It's one mm-hmm. and done. And so it really does uh, reduce the amount of administrative pain that everyone goes through. Like even on our procurement tool, we'll save anywhere from 40 to 60% of the administrative pain of that owners or contractors have to go through in trying to get their product mm-hmm. to where it needs to be. Because we're picking up all that administrative work. Yeah, our sure. software does. Uh-huh. And you're obviously, you're here in the UK, you're primarily a US-based business, but mm-hmm. expanding perhaps globally or just to the UK at the moment? Yeah, UK, we could do Canada. Um, So we are expanding globally. We've got some connections here. We just met with a big tile company here yesterday and we've met lots of uh, other construction um, companies that are introducing us to More Tomorrow. So we're really excited. The traction today at London Build was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. So, and a lot of them um, have US-based offices. So that was really cool. How do you see US-based companies? Are they trying to approach Europe market or UK market? Or Well, a lot of the big ones are here. And even some of the smaller ones, uh, we just met a company today that's doing business in US and uh, the UK. So what was your question again? Are US companies in tech, in construction tech, are approaching UK and market and Europe? Well, what was surprising is that I was always under the impression because our blockchain is built on Hyperledger Fabric. And we started first with IBM. We had a partnership with them. And in 2019, they funded and had a construction gathering together with bringing construction companies together to talk about um, our product and what are the biggest needs in construction. And so it was a two and a half day event that we had. And it was the company, the IBM UK was the one that we first initially talked with. Mm-hmm. So we thought, oh man, they're all into technology. Mm-hmm. We're so excited. You know, London's really got to... It's the accept. place to be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and finding out that you guys have the same problems we do. <laughs> <laughs> so given, the adoption. You, given yeah. that you've been in London today and over the last week, so I've learned, is, is that true? Like, are we like the cutting edge of construction technology or are we like not so? Because I will also add to that. Yeah. I know someone... <laughs> I I was went to, attended a panel once where someone who sits on the board of Bluebeam was like, oh, in an American conference and said, you need to go to the UK. That's where all the innovation is happening. And I was like, hmm? where is what's that? going on? <laughs> yeah. So so is that true? Or? Well, I'll let Lynn give a summary of her conversation. Well, she sat in on one of the technology sessions today. And what did you learn today about how adoption is happening? So... <laughs> The perception and education piece was abundantly, the need for education was abundantly clear. If the concept is that when we scan in PDF drawings or PDF documents, 
that's digitized, that doesn't mean we're using the data for any other support, any other metrics, any other productivity. Mm-hmm. And the whole point of, of digitization is to take it to that micro level and to really have a cradle-to-grave approach. So what I heard was people thinking, yes, we're digitalized or yes, we're digital and we probably should get a score of a six or a seven, but all they're doing is scanning in plans that really are not something that they could leverage or use again. He actually remarked there was like 10 or 12 O&M manuals that they scanned in. Yes. That's great. Good job. You did a lot of scanning. But... <laughs> and not anything against Dropbox because, you know, we use Dropbox. But if that's the technology, you know, yeah. the furthest we've come along, yeah, um, it's still Excel good. spreadsheets, Dropbox. The, the adoption is very difficult. Change yeah. management is very hard. In construction, especially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're an old school. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, we're in a funny time right now with mm-hmm. workforce development and the old guard or the, you know, the good old folks that did it the right way or did it, you know, the classically taught mm-hmm. way. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. And mm-hmm. and it wasn't necessarily pushed or focused that that person that was that craftsman really needed to be bringing along someone and training training themselves. I'm sorry, training their trainee mm-hmm. to be the next to them. That doesn't seem to happen because of the need for a workforce. We don't, we can't put two people together. So it, we've gotten ourselves here and now we need to to figure a way out. Mm-hmm, sure. what, I, what I think is really interesting is that we have a product that could compete with Procore, right? It's our project management. It's not our focus right now. Our, our edge into the market is our procurement tools really taken off. Mm-hmm. But what I've found is they're like, well, so-and-so is your competitor. Hey, did you see the competitor down there? And I don't, when I look at the industry, I don't really look at other competitors. This, yeah. I mean, working for Procter & Gamble, I mean, how many toilet papers are there out there, right? Yeah. It's like, it's like <laughs> we're just starting this industry. We're at the ground level. You mm-hmm. know, God bless everybody. You know, we all want to succeed. I'm happy Procore, you know, went public. I'm glad for their success. You know, they're going to pull us along in the industry along. Yeah. So I think this is, a, I mean, it's a great time to yeah. be a startup in construction. Yeah. It is it's exciting. Indeed. It opens, like companies like going public opens up this whole, like, yes. cauldron of companies come in. Like, I guess, DigiBuild. Yeah. And, taking a piece of that market or, or, or whatever it might be. So, Yeah, and without competition, there's no innovation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, That's right. Very good. What book did you read that from, Martin? <laughs> that is from my monitor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I guess it would be good to um, go into Lynn and how like your relationship with DigiBuild and April and also your company ELSEA. Yes. So LC is is my project management and execution company. It was started by me uh, because of circumstances that had happened in my career. And I wrote down a couple of three things that I would remind young people to do. And I will tell people those three things at the end. But mm-hmm. I found myself in a situation where I was working for myself. Also were, was trying to solve problems um, for pharmaceutical manufacturing construction. And pharmaceutical manufacturing construction does use some cutting edge technology, but there's some stuff that we still do paper documentation of. Mm-hmm. So the company that I'm a co-founder of, WeldChain, takes all of that paper um, documentation from the high purity process piping welding and creates it in a go-as-you-weld um, log that when you finish the last weld, all of your information will be locked in and you are ready to turn over your documents to the owner. And that's where I feel like 
a lot of companies fail is in the closeout of projects. Mm-hmm. You can knock it out of the park on the schedule. You can beat the cost. But if you can't turn over documents at the end that says, here's where I am, here's what we've done, you have this as an archive going forward, that's the end of the project. The end of the project is not the end of construction. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so that that is the driver for, for WellChain is that need for process improvement in that space. And then because I've worked in the life science pharmaceutical industry, we have to get creative. We're innovating and we're working for people that are innovating things like United Therapeutics, creating an unending supply of transplantable organs through a number of different modalities. And to me, that's where we need to be moving. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> it sounds like... It's a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It sounds like, oh, yeah, no, it's very one interesting. Of, one of the cool things about WellChain that they do that's very exciting is that they're also helping the welders themselves, you know, and so with being on the blockchain, they're able to have all their credentials placed there and they start building their own credit and reputation. And they don't have that today. So it's really giving frontline individuals the ability to be able to get on board and be able to share their credentials and help them along their career path as well. Yeah, it's really exciting. And it's based on a standardized credential, verifiable credential that in the UK, I see there's um, some standards bodies where it's COIB, I think is mm-hmm. one of the... CIOB. Don't test me on that too much. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The acronyms. <laughs> um, and they test and will test against a standard. And that's what does, doesn't happen and doesn't currently exist in the United States. And if we can give people and tradesmen in the field the opportunity to have their work resume on their cell phone, then we're giving them and empowering them the power, empowering them with things they didn't have before. And I can tell you one of the things that I tell young project managers that are just coming into this field is track your projects. Literally, the first project that you do needs to be number one. And that list needs to go down from there. Mm. You will want that at the end of your pro- at the end of your career. But if you don't track it... Yep, you don't know. It's lost forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sounds like it also may uh, increase productivity as well. Like, obviously as things are adapting, the demands on people are higher. Like you need to comply with health and safety, sustainability uh, records, and do your job as well. And with the labor shortage and whatnot, you just, it, it's just not possible. Like we need to improve the productivity of what people are delivering, not documentation and whatever that might be. So solution like well chain seems like ticking the box there. Mm-hmm. Well, and DigiBuild does the same thing. It yeah. takes the administrative load off of small to medium-sized businesses that don't have that capacity and allows them to automate to a level that they wouldn't be able to automate to if they didn't have access to a software tool like like DigiBuild. Sure. And it helps with, um, you know, because there is a shortage in labor. You could go from having three people who all day long, all they do is track orders and track orders. I didn't hit the table, you know, and calling people and they can literally go from three down to one. And then those other two people are out getting more bids and growing the business versus sitting and running around doing administrative work. Yeah, that would be a good subject to talk about as well in terms of attracting the younger generation into the industry. Like I saw some things on LinkedIn last night. It says UK lost 175,000 of its workforce in 2020. 500,000 which is 25% of the workforce will retire in the UK in the next 10 years. And in the US, there's 650,000 person shortfall of construction workers 
and another 2.2 million set to retire in the next three years. Why is that? <laughs> we have a problem, man. And in addition to that, Generation Z, which is the, the next set of young people coming through, less than a third of those would be interested in taking a job in the built environment. So that's people that are interested. The real percentage is probably way lower. So do you guys have any thoughts, opinions, schemes or anything maybe that what they're doing in the US, which they don't do here, to to attract the, the younger generation or even improve she productivity? Okay, here schemer. we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just be careful. <laughs> Tell us what you got. Well, I mean, I look at the industry and I see a lot of family-owned businesses and they're, the second generation is not interested. And so um, it, it's really tough. We've got a lot of immigration coming into the U.S., so that's doing some of the support there, but that's not a long-term viable solution unless we change laws and work something out there with visas. I think one of the things that I've saw in the life sciences, which I think is really something that general construction should be doing, is what Procter & Gamble and all these big companies, they actually go and recruit. They go to the universities and they look and they search for candidates and they try to vie for their for getting them into yeah. construction, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, I saw that. I went to an event with Lynn and for the life sciences. And there's one company that they've got all these young people. They're all at this their little booth. And I'm like, whoa, like everywhere else is like, <laughs> people look like me, you know? It's like, <laughs> it's like, where's the rest of them? But this one booth had all these people and you found out that they had such an aggressive approach of how they go and hire people. And they're going to, they're really positioned for the future in their company. And it has to start young. Mm -hmm. So Whiting Turner Contracting Company in the United States is one of an elite group of, of contractors in my mind. And they recruit from junior year and college on. I would even advocate that we could send high school students in for some experiential learning to potentially help them. Are we talking about like blue collar workers or white collar in construction? So I don't like to differentiate mm. between the two. I understand that there's a C-suite, mm -hmm. but I'm a project manager and people typically call that office side. Yeah. But I'm actually more valuable in the field on the site. Mm. So it really applies to both. But if you are looking at blue collar, I had to ask permission in high school to take the drafting course at the vocational school. I had to ask permission. You just sign up for it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, no, why would I have to ask permission? Same thing with design, drafting, and carpentry. Mm. Like, I had to ask permission to do those. You think the guys have to ask permission to go to those classes? Mm, yeah. So allowing kids to experience yes, things that are not necessarily the stereotypical, allowing there to be different faces, different nationalities, different genders, different sizes, different shapes, all of these things, allowing people to see that there's data that shows once a, a kid can see someone else doing their career, they can see them because they're it's mirroring. Mm, it's like more about empowering people to do it rather than putting them into the class to learn something. Yeah? That's right. Yeah. Well, Tyler Sass, I mean, you're talking about so, color. Yeah, yeah, shout out to Western Welding Academy and, um, and Tyler Sass. He is leading the hashtag blue collar revolution. Cool. And he is the rock star. Oh, okay. He is the rock star. Um, yeah. Their school is unprecedented in terms of the, the welders that they turn out. They also train and teach at a social development level where a lot of apprentice programs don't necessarily teach that. So I have a nephew in the 602 in the United States, the steam fitter, and also the local DC6 for plumbing. And they don't necessarily teach 
these welders or plumbers to balance the checkbook, to even understand mm-hmm. how to best borrow money. So you're empowering them on one level, but then on the other side, you're not helping them any. So what can we do to have it be more um, cohesive and more total? And Tyler Sass is the one who really brought that forward for for what he calls the blue collar revolution, which is what I'm proud to be a part of. <laughs> yeah, sure. He's uh, going into high schools and recruiting 14 to 17 year olds to give them an option for something other than college. Not everybody, college is not for everybody. It's costly. Mm-hmm. So giving them a skill and starting young and easy. And and he's got one, one school and he's going to open seven more. And he never graduated from high school. I think it was at 15 or 16. He, he was joking with us. Yeah, the only class I had after that was a PowerPoint Excel. <laughs> <laughs> Digitization. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you think like the general trend for young people is to be interested in construction or because I find this, it's very difficult for construction to be compelling for for young. uh, It's it's unattractive, right? Like you have an option to go and work in like a, or or fully remote now is is like a big thing and you can work from anywhere on your laptop, like on the beach. Why do you want to go and be digging holes in minus however many degrees? You can't do it remotely. Yeah, exactly. You can't do it remotely yet. <laughs> so yeah, I, Martin, I guess you, your question was... Yeah, that's the tough thing. Like, There's not that many compelling things in construction I find for young people to do uh, because you have to turn up on site every day, seven till five or whatever it is. You, you have to do the physical work and there's so many other things that people can do like without doing this labor you know, at this moment. So... But I would argue that we got that way because we put kids in classrooms. I completely What if agree. we put kids not Into in at desks yeah. and not with computers? What yeah. if we equip them with the power to use their hands as the tools that I they are? I completely agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And because we are all taught, you go to school and you sit in your desk, that's what they think coming out of university even. That's the same. It's the same environment. We have to create a different environment uh, yeah. so that people, we have... We've had great strides in in how we understand the autism spectrum. And there's a whole hidden group of employees in that sector that because people don't necessarily understand, they don't utilize. Mm. And so, again, it's just another diversity piece that would make us stronger. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of jobs, though, that you can sit behind a computer within construction. In fact, for young people, start up a company. I mean in technology, right? There's so much opportunity and it's so exciting. And venture-backed people are looking for these old um, school industries that nobody's invested in and they're behind in technology, right? So now is a great time to get into a new industry, come up with a new product. There's never been so many resources available online, free education courses, Mm -hmm. free tutorials, Mm -hmm. YouTube, you can YouTube anything, you know, there's, there are resources available. Use the resources available to you. Thank you for my little sister, Katie, who is always saying resources are available to you. And free, (laughs) mostly free as well, which is crazy. Yeah. And I guess like similar to that as well is also diversity in construction. In the construction world, like you guys are obviously two females in good positions in what you do, but it tends to be, and, and even like a reflection of the, the guests we typically have on this podcast are mostly male and uh, in high CEO positions or whatever. So you guys, are, are you advocates for bringing more females into the industry? Like how do you... And how do we do that? it? First of all, this is going to be your best podcast. You have two females here. <laughs> it is. 
It's a tough one. I mean, when I see life sciences, I see a lot more females walking around on the floors at these expos, but, you know, they're architects and engineers or in science area. As far as out in the field, I think it went from, the statistic in the U.S. went from 3%, and it's now under 3% of females in construction. Mm -hmm. That's not much. But one of the things that I have seen that's pretty exciting is when I was at the Chicago Build, which is also an affiliate of the London Build, there was a lot of students around. They pulled in students, and there was a lot of female students asking about construction and project management. And project management, product supply logistics is a really great sweet spot, it seems like, for a lot of the ladies getting into construction. So, I I mean, Lynn's probably got a bigger perspective on that, too. Well, just one data point. So, we're actually at 30%. Of what? Women are 30%, about 30 to 33% of construction. Oh, Up from that. So, there's 3% of welders are women. Oh, okay. oh and w- welders, okay. Oh, still quite a lot. Yeah, well, welders. We're doing better um, with getting more women into the field. There are um, even more women that are in STEM now at the university level. And so when they go, when they come out of research and development, they'll join organizations like ISPE, which is International Society for Pharmaceutical Engineers. And that organization, I'm a proud advocate and um, uh, shout out to Chesapeake Bay, ISPE, CBA chapter. Um, you know, I love you. She's um, on the board. <laughs> uh, they join organizations like that. And we have women in pharma that advocate and help connect women with mentors and mentees. So that, and the mentee thing is important too. It's not just mentors, it's people that are, uh, you got to have both sides of it to keep the whole process going. But is that just in the life sciences? Because I I mean, in general construction, like Barbara, she's been in construction forever. And I think I just read something that it was less than 3% now out in the field, not... Yeah, construction workers. Yeah, Yeah. workers. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. actually doing the labor part. Yeah, I've of never it. seen. I've never seen many, to be honest. No, no. Yeah. Honestly, I could. I couldn't tell you. Just think of ground working business or something. Yeah. I've, I've never seen like a female. Think one plumber only. I'll get the stats so we can put it in the comments section. Yeah, 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 so we we'll have great. We'll see. have a good war data. on data. Three percent, thirty-three percent. It's low. Whatever, whatever way you look at it. So. Um, Okay, so like you guys are proof that obviously as females, you can get to a position at like high up where you are. So, and April, like you obviously, you don't have a construction background. You came from Procter & Gamble and Starbucks. So is there any like experience that translates from your um, time at those companies that you've applied to your experience so far? Yeah, I think um, the difference might be that we're a construction startup. And so at Procter & Gamble, I mean, they have some of the best training in the world. They... They run the gamut of product, you know, supply logistics, analysis, marketing, branding, right? So you go through, you know, a lot of trainings through there. And those are really core things, skills that you need, operations to run a startup. So that comes with you. Now, mm-hmm. a startup, you know, sometimes I think, you know, Rob's always like, April, that's like, we're not Procter & Gamble, you know, like <laughs> you know or, or I'll get too deep on my project management and I'm at 1.1.78, you know, where you keep going and he's like, whoa, you know, he's like, back off. <laughs> but I think um, having that experience brings to the 
table a lot. And I think um, just because I worked in um, product supply mm-hmm. and logistics, I mean, obviously, did you procure? There's a lot of synergies there, understanding how manufacturers work and understanding how supplies are generated and being at warehouses. It really helps me from a financial perspective, too, of what to think about when you're talking to those potential investors or the manufacturers and getting them on board. Mm-hmm. So. And I love startup. I mean, new business development was something I did all the time in every every um, company I've worked with. And so it just seemed like a great fit. And and just an FYI, Rob worked for me for a little while. Oh, yeah. Oh, you <laughs> tell me this. <laughs> yeah. So the tables are turned. Yeah, the tables are turned. Or maybe you're still the boss, but he has the CEO tag. Uh, <laughs> I think the last time I told him what to do is when I said, yeah, I'm coming on board. <laughs> <laughs> Would you give any advice to someone who is trying to switch from different industry to construction, construction tech? Wow. Um, if they like startup, this is a great place to be. You know, I'm absolutely, we're talking about this, so, you know, workaholic, uh, adrenaline junkie. And, uh, you know, when you can move from one industry to another, what, what I like is that I was able to take those skills and apply them to the construction industry. But also, I, I'm just a lifelong learner. I am learning so much and it has been an absolute blast. I feel like I'm going out to the play yard every day to play. And you wouldn't be doing this right here, right now, would you? No. <laughs> exactly. I would not. <laughs> cool. So we move on to your, uh, like some other things that you guys got going on, which is your charity. And I'm going to leave you guys to, to mostly talk about this. So um, Construction Rocks DMV. Construction Rocks DMV started uh, with a group of four people, primarily folks at CFR Engineering based in Germantown, Maryland. And uh, they wanted to do a battle of the bands. So live rock music? Live rock bands. We were at Power Plant Live in Baltimore where big gigs play. Mm -hmm. And uh, four bands battled it out, 30 minutes. And then the next one would come on and we voted at the end to see who would win. And there was a winner and they got a trophy. It was a big deal. But really, the main reason we were there was to bring focus and light to Operation Second Chance, which is the charity partner for. 2022 for Construction Rocks, the DMV. And they provide resources, training, support for veterans that are reintegrating. In construction or in They do provide training. It goes into construction. It's one of the things. They also do a number of great things like equine therapy for the veterans, um, help for the families, help for the spouses. Mm -hmm. They look at things from a true holistic perspective. It's not just about this one thing. It's about... The family unit. Mm-hmm. So we were really happy to, to be able to raise funds for that. April was on the steering board this year. And it was just, it was a great time. We were, got together for creative reasons. You've, it's amazing how many people that are in the construction field are actually musicians. When I told mm-hmm. people I was leaving a conference early to come back to do Construction Rocks early November this year, they're like, are you kidding me? We want to do that in North Carolina. So we're now trying to take the show on the road and we'll do a battle of the bands with the winner from the DMV and they'll, the North Carolina group will, you know, find their own charity, raise money for a good cause, bring people in the community together. And to me, that's the part of construction and my balance that I need. I've got to say something about that. I used to be in a high school band. I used to play the drums. So maybe it's time to dust off the drumsticks. That's right. Can you still do it? I could probably still do it. I haven't done it. Like this was when I was probably what would 16. You play? What would you play? Drums. I used to play oh, yeah, the drums. What, yeah. what song could you play? We had our own songs. 
I'll try and uh, dig them out maybe. But um, Are you on YouTube? Uh, I think we probably are, yeah. Okay. We definitely had a video on YouTube. But, yeah. It's going to be fun. That needs to be in the comments. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not? Plus I'm going to edit fast. this episode. So yeah, we toured as far as Nottingham, which is like, not very far, but we had a good <laughs> time. <so. laughs> and we're going to join the Battle of the Bands. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. We even had a um, Vietnam vet who was playing the saxophone. I was... He was good. I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. But he wore his little hat and everything. It was wow. just awesome. It was fun having him there. Mm-hmm. Cool. And is, is there like, like, what's your involvement with the charities as well? I think when we discussed before, you said you were also like to do with mental health yeah. and suicide in, well, in construction. Well, um, it's pretty excited. I got to be part of this ambassador program here at London Build. We have a breakout tomorrow just talking about mental health and construction. Construction has like four to five times more suicides than any other industry. If people just don't talk about it, guys don't talk about it. But like I saw a suicide prevention company there. They had the big, huge... Newfoundland swim dogs. Yeah, which she... They were amazing. Oh, I think I saw... Well, walking around today? Yeah. Well, they had a booth too. They might have been walking around. but they are They're enormous. They have a lot of fur. (laughs) (laughs) Even for me, and I like big animals. (laughs) Yeah. So it's just nice to see that because I've been to... Now this will be my fifth, I think, Build Expo and um, we've not seen anything addressing really mental health. So it was really exciting to see that London Build has that. To even bring focus on women and mental health. And and to me, that's a a differentiator between this and what we're seeing in other places. Yeah, We're getting there. So well done, London. Yeah, Mm. Construction is not only steel and concrete. Yeah, Yeah. There's some human touch also, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you guys think about um, ESG sustainability in the US? And how do you see this part of construction world? I'll leave that question to... (laughs) Are we doing well? (laughs) Are we doing well? We have a plan. Hmm. Well, we have goals. Some of us have plans. Some of us have not developed the plans to get to the goals. So I, I think us setting the goals is great. But somebody has got to put it into action. I think we talked about that earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't the document is great, but if you're not complying with the document, then the document might as well be a paperweight. Mm-hmm. So my best luck with sustainability and and net zero and really getting into a sustainable building, a well building, a living building, was with United Therapeutics again. And their concept is we're not going to save people and kill people with our buildings. And it's not that dramatic. It's not kill people, but it's, we need to be thoughtful all the way around, not just in development of, of support and therapies. Mm-hmm. So to me, that having ambassadors that do that, that pave the way, show, and again, they show a net zero building. And so then somebody else wants a net zero building. So it's really about getting the information out there, educating, and then more of it will start happening. In order for it to happen, we have to be able to fund it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of these green technologies are phenomenal and amazing and not cost effective. Yeah. So it's almost like you can do a highlight, but you can't necessarily do the whole thing yeah. because of finishes, because of lead times. There's an, a mm. litany of things. Yeah, it's a very complex environment. Yeah, to, to get... But it's also about how you're measuring it because... If you are making a sustainable product here in the UK and then you have to boat it over to the United States, yeah. how green are you now? How yeah. many how many gallons of diesel yes. were consumed at five or six dollars a gallon? And mm-hmm. I know you all don't use gallons, but it's it's yeah, substantial yeah, yeah. the impact yeah. of just the shipment. I think Eric, we had Eric on the podcast a few weeks ago and he was talking about having localized factories that the US is kind of promoting 
manufacturing things kind of on site or close to the site. So there's no issue with mm-hmm. the transportation. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And made in the USA is also very large in the United States. Yeah. No. So it's now. Mm-hmm. So having that movement and bringing the companies and reshoring them on the US does make sure that we can have a better mm-hmm. control of our supply chain. Mm-hmm. How about you, April? Um, I think that we are talking about regulations and laws earlier. And I think sometimes, you know, they go to benefit some of the larger corporations because these smaller companies can't get all these exceptions. So I'm a little tainted in that way. It really mm-hmm. bothers me that, you know, the it's the smaller businesses that get hurt the most, you know, just trickle down on them. So for me, I, um, I do like the fact that things are being now manufactured in the, you know, country of origin, right? And I think that's important because I, I do think it opens up the ability for other people to create new products and have the ability to be able to have other people buy them. So we talk about new business, startups, and I think it just helps the whole ecosystem. Mm-hmm. The key thing for me is funding. Like it's, it's like in my experience working on projects and we had this chat earlier, but as soon as the client sees the cost of the, the green installation, it's like that's the first thing to go. People are like yeah. We don't want to do it. And until the government or whoever, yeah, subsidize or, or price points can come down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It just, I just sadly won't see it happening. Yes. Well, it's, it's not nice, but it has to be an uh, enforcement of these things. Yeah. Because otherwise we'll be doing what we're doing and the, the profit driven kind of mentality will be prevailing, I think. Well, and if you're building something green, but to build that thing that's green costs more you know, or it really doesn't um, help the environment. I mean, I think there's also what is green, like the definition of it. And the question is, you know, what's the percentage of green buildings comparing to the whole kind of housing stock? Yeah, it's it's negligible really, right? When you you think about it. Mm -hmm. You have to start from something, but Mm -hmm. you really want to do something in terms of sustainability. You need to kind of put this sustainability brick yeah, the well, universal standard would be fantastic. Yes. Mm. That we all could comply with, that we all would be yeah. able to say, here is the standard. Yeah. I think that's what we're hearing in construction. That's what we're hearing in technology. We need an understanding of the basis of, of ground zero. What is zero and going from yeah. there? You know, blockchain is not crypto, but a lot of people say blockchain. They're like, oh, yeah, I don't like crypto. Like, <laughs> yeah. But they're different. Yeah. You know, I, I get it. I get that there's confusion. There's education in that. <laughs> but it's, there's education. There are educational moments all over the place. And you got to get every country on board to do it. Yeah. yeah. What was that? Did I hear something? <laughs> no, it's tough. That's tough. Yeah. Well, that interesting thing is like when you think about it, like Western countries, UK, US, Europe, they've built what they had to build. Yeah. And now tell the guys, well, in Asia and other places of the world, you guys have to comply with our. Unnamed sources. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's just impossible. They yeah. still need to build uh, like a basic infrastructure to, uh, to just put people in housing, yeah, into, into houses. So that's tricky. That's a tricky thing. Yeah, yeah that's very tricky. Okay, something um, I'm really keen to ask is, given you guys' experience and April, especially in the startup world, what's your key piece of advice you can give to someone who is trying to launch a construction tech startup? It doesn't have to be one piece. Maybe you have a few. But... I mean, I think it's really important who you're partnering with. You know, Rob and I have known each other a long time, so we know the good, bad, and ugly about each other. We know when we've had a bad day. And I mean, like Lynn, Lynn and I, the other day, we were talking with someone local, and her and I were like, I wouldn't say arguing, you know, but we had difference of opinion. <laughs> and it was like, but then 
we're good friends. We have trust in each other. You know, we have a lot of respect for each other. So it doesn't matter, right? And I think that's going to be, that's really important. I don't care what, if it's in construction, wherever it's at, that you have that trust and that uh, foundation to begin. Because trust is everything, right? And mutual respect to listen. Yeah. Not just, oh, you disagree with me, cancel me. Right. I'm not going to even talk to you. We can't be friends. Like yeah. if that's the world wanna... that we're living in, we're creating these tea tiny silos. When when the world is opened up with the internet mm. and all of these other things, why would we not embrace it as opposed yeah. to just narrowing focus and being, you know, to me, it's yeah. just uh, collaboration is always better. Yeah. And it, it's, these are the people that you go into business with, right? Like so founder or co-founder relationships, mm-hmm. it's like a long-term marriage. It and is. There's going to be a hell of a lot of differences. And don't Along get into it if you don't have grit. I mm-hmm. mean, <laughs> it's, it's it's a tough industry mm-hmm. when you get started at startup. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And how do you deal with major disagreements? Like, I, assuming you probably have had some or maybe you haven't, I don't know. Is, is it just a matter of, do you have like a battle or is it like, okay, let's be logical about this and discount maybe what, like one side of the argument and then try... Well, there's negotiation. You also have to understand like, where's what's the red line for me and what's the red line, you know, for the other co-founder, right? So um, for me, I think that's it. And someone has to, at any given point, someone has to be the big person in the room and step mm-hmm. back and say, okay, I'm, I'm not going to fight this. It's not worth it, right? I mean, it's because most of the stuff is... Yeah. It's, it really doesn't matter, honestly. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We, we think it does. We kind of put our flag in the ground and say, wow, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. I give it a week and you kind of forgot exactly. about it anyway. So. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Moving and you got to have someone you enjoy being around and want to go build a business with. If it can't be fun, then get out. Exactly that, yeah. I feel like you have to always put yourself in someone else's shoes. And like, if you do that, then you really question. can't go wrong, can you? Yeah, yeah. Right. ask a question from their point of view, really. Yeah, What can they think about things and why you disagree yeah, with them? Yeah. Do you find that locally or geographically that you can engage in difficult conversations with people that disagree and agree to disagree? Or do you feel like the climate is more of a cancel culture here, mm. where it's where it's I, I, interesting. I don't know if you you all have talked about cancel yeah. culture, but yeah, yeah. but where basically I, I disagree it. with you, you're dead to me. Yeah. If you vote for this person, we can't be friends. Like I, that kind of. Uh, I hear a lot about cancel culture in the U.S. from podcasts. Yeah? <laughs> it's it's quite big, but I think in UK, um, UK is tough. Place, uh, says the Polish of, guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you want to speak, if you want to sp- like put things kind of bluntly, yeah, which okay. I like. Uh, okay. So yeah. So like people like talking around, kind of not getting to the. To oh, the get points. to the point, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's sometimes challenging, but you have to find a ways or like to get around it. Yeah. Yeah. British people are notoriously indirect. Like, if if we if we have like something a problem with something, we want to say something. We'll pro- like rather than just saying it, we will like think of like a two-page essay about how I'm gonna like not be too direct and hurt your feelings and upset you. Whereas like more of the Eastern European culture is very Straight. much yeah, that that's what it is. But it's interesting because you say British people, but Brit will understand the Brit because they've been in this culture, right? So yeah. they know that even this is not direct, then they understand how to how to read it. But if you are from somewhere else, you just have to learn how to. To read it, yeah. yeah, but we don't have a big cancel culture here. If you have no. a difference with someone, like maybe this is a personal thing, but like it's always very shallow. Like you were saying, it doesn't really matter. Like you might disagree, like me and Martin talk about things, and he's like, oh, I don't disagree, don't agree, and then we you, like lodge, lodge 
that come up with a logical argument as to why. And actually go, yeah, actually, maybe you're right. Like, you change your opinion. So it's not like you voted for the conservative party. Like, I'm going to burn your house down kind of thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. But we do have differences. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Um, books. Do you, what do you read? Was there any oh book gosh. that you could recommend? I was another man here right now. <laughs> Latest I'm reading, I just picked up a new book. I like holding a book, but I also like listening because you're mm. you're on the road, you're yeah. walking, you're doing all kinds of things. But I just started reading this book, uh, Building a Second Brain. And it's wow. really... Interesting. So let me try and guess. Is this like artificial intelligence trying to build, emulate a human brain? No. No, okay. Cool. <laughs> Not <laughs> Too quite. Deep. <laughs> but that's yeah. where it could take you. Yeah, it could. So it's just mm. taking how you take all the information of all your history of everything you've learned and put it in one type of a a place storage. where you can storage where you can, you know, pull it from somewhere and just mm. really, you know, capture all that history it's of like a memory. Your, yeah. Yeah. USD yeah. USD stick. Yeah. And a friend of mine, uh, uh Ben Thomas is building the software that's uh called my Mori. And it takes this concept from this book that everybody's following and reading now and really consumes all of that information in one place. So it's it's a one and done. It's your project management. It's your research. It's um, He's really into artificial intelligence and super smart programmer. So it just kind of consumes all that in there. So it's a great book because it really helps you think about you know, how to access that information because we know so much. Yeah. Been around our yeah. whole career. I mean, there's this one grid, it's driving me nuts that one of our, um, one of the executives I reported into had, and it was just this perfect grid of every type of position within a company. And it was the PACE model, right? And had everything outlined. And I can't find that thing. Where's the darn? And it was, so I was like trying to find that somewhere. But I thought, oh man, if I had it in there, all I'd have to do is you know, do a little search tool and find it. Mm -hmm. And I collect articles, like I love Harvard Business Reviews yeah. or something, and I'll cut them and I've keeping them, I'm organized. Yeah. But to be able to have them a PDF scanned up and just be able to type in, hey, you know, I'm looking for these concepts and for this, my Mori, my brain, to be able to mm, assimilate it, all that and pull it up is really, I mean, research and development, she's excited about it just because of research and development. So so that was where the concept came from. So I think that was cool. Yeah, I've seen a few note-taking yeah. apps actually that, it, it maybe it's just the same one where they like design it around how the brain works. So mm. I watched a few videos on it. I was like, I don't really want to sit here and learn another software because it's just time consuming <laughs> at the time. But I'm sure if you put the effort in, it would probably yeah. be really, really helpful. It's just started sales EQ. Sales emotional, EQ. Emotional intelligence? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. So. Any insights so far? Um, I've been through. I love emotional intelligence and... Uh, no, not yet. I just started chapter one. <laughs> It'll be on my 10-hour flight back. <laughs> yes. And Lynn, how about you? I recommend everyone read Chop Wood, Carry Water okay. by Joshua Metcalf. And it's almost like a parable, but it it's a very quick read. And it, it's a, a great book. I've read that recently. The One Minute Manager. Mm. Uh, Blanchard, Mr. Blanchard. Yes. Spencer Johnson on that as well. Innovation and Entrepreneurship <laughs> by Peter Drucker. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good old Drucker. The Lost Art of Connecting. Mm. And you got to remember also how you remember what the content of these books are. Because I'll read something and then I'll be like, oh, there's good messages in there. Yeah, in, exactly. right? You've yeah. got it all in there and it's like... Mm -hmm. Yeah, how do you guys maintain balance in life? Because you're, like you said, April, you're a workaholic. Oh. 
<laughs> How do you make sure you're working, doing enough family time, mm-hmm. hobbies, whatever it might be? And do, and do you notice as well? Something I notice is like when something's out of balance, I can feel it, almost feel it. And I'm like, I need to go and whatever it might, spend more time with my partner or friend or whatever it might be. Like The fact that you have those gut feelings means you need to follow them mm. and always trust your gut. That's a very good hint. Yeah. If you have the ability to understand that about your body, you should always lean into that. Mm. One of the things that I found being addicted to work, as many people are, is that you get into these habits and patterns and it's easy to just stay at work. Mm. It's not easy to put something on the calendar and schedule time with furry animals, schedule time with humans that you love, schedule time outside or those things. The way that I have created some balance and people that are listening that know and love me know that this is teetering on the not balanced side, but I schedule those things into my calendar. So I have, mm-hmm. I love horses and have a cute little one-year-old Annie race filly in um, Maryland. But unless I put that barn time on the calendar, I don't schedule around it. Mm-hmm. And I'll let things get onto my calendar and it takes away that personal time. So I've, I color code my calendar and balance is a, is a big thing that I've worked on a lot in the last year mm-hmm. since going out on my own. Mm-hmm. And it's been good. Yeah. I've enjoyed having a balance. It feels almost like vacation having a balance. <laughs> yeah. So that's when you know that's when your gut is telling you you did something wrong, jerk. Mm. <laughs> Fix it. <laughs> Fix it. Yeah. I could talk about talk a long time about the power of like using your calendar with colors and time blocking and whatnot to also maintain a balanced lifestyle. But yeah, you're when a boy with the details. <laughs> How about you, April? Um, I think um age has slowed me down a little bit in reflection, right? And for me, I've taken, uh, you know, I've tried to block out time as well. I've got some time in the morning time that I do things to take care of myself, do my walking, going to start working out. So I think that's that's kind of where I found balance is putting it on the calendar as well. You know, my husband and I talk all the time. He's like, I think your idea of retirement's a little bit different than mine. <laughs> like, oh, uh, I don't want to know about your retirement plans. <laughs> He's going to come work for me and work with me, you okay, know, work okay. for me. Okay. Cool. I don't know. We'll figure that out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sounds there like, yet. I'd love to dive into it. I'm conscious of the time. I think we probably yeah. have about five minutes or so. So, Lynn, there was something I wanted to come back to you on. Three things you said to tell young people. You mentioned it earlier. But before that, I have a question that I like to ask about if you had an opportunity now to invest or go and do something like a, a particular technology in the construction world, what would that be? So it could be like artificial intelligence. Is that, is that the, big, the big thing that's coming or is it sustainability or whatever? It could be hum- more human focused. In construction. You don't have to say, did you build? <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough one. Um just because of all the supply chain, right? We do have another product that we've kind of, we still have customers, we still promote it, but I really feel like we're solving something big with this procurement. And because I have product supply logistics background with Procter & Gamble that, you know, I really very passionate about. That's your passion, yeah, that's fine. It's a good answer. Mm. What was the question again? If you had like an unlimited budget or time or you could do whatever you wanted in, in a technology and construction, what would it be? We're in desperate need of education tools mm. to bring the standard of care to a higher benchmark. And some people are doing it well. I think in some places, people are being very close to the vest with the education programs they provide. 
because it's their intellectual property and I can respect that. But at the same time, if by city and state and county, we have different certifications and they don't necessarily talk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do we know what's mm-hmm. equivalent? Yeah. So really having that, having an understanding of a universal, the universal starting point. Layer. Yeah. Martin, how about you? What was the question? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever asked what you. What are you having for dinner tonight? <laughs> <laughs> so where, where do I go on holidays now? <laughs> what would you come up with if you had infinite money? I think I would pursue... Um, the materials in construction and materials because the main talking about like energy problem and climate change problem it's all and construction is a big part of it and we've built a lot of concrete build a lot of steel into the buildings into the ground to just make these structures stand yeah so i think i would focus a lot of money on how can you discover really or invent new type of material which will well, i'm a structural engineer also so i'm a little bit biased towards that <laughs> but You're interesting for a structural engineer. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. We have another 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> you know it is a compliment. <laughs> structural engineers are notoriously boring. <laughs> <laughs> you said it. Let me say, yeah, exactly. I didn't yeah. say that. That's fine. Right. That's fine. <laughs> I don't think you're boring. <laughs> Depends if I want to. <laughs> yes, I think that, that will be my direction. Outflow of cash. You? It's a good question. I've heard a few responses that I like, but I always fall back to artificial intelligence. That's something that just deeply interests me. Um, I can't. I have to say, I haven't spent as much time looking into it as of recently because I've just been busy. But when I listen to that and read that stuff, it just like sends my brain into this abyss mm. of, of crazy thoughts. And probably doesn't help by the fact that when I was very young, I was watching Terminator with my dad. So <laughs> that's probably where the love started. <laughs> Hopefully it doesn't end that way, by the way. <laughs> okay, cool, guys. We better wrap this up anyway. Yeah, half past so. Oh, my three things. We forgot about it. Go for it. Okay. Legally protect yourself. Mm-hmm. You are employed at your will mm-hmm. and you need to advocate for yourself. If you don't advocate for yourself, no one, no one else will. Mm-hmm. Advocate for yourself. Make sure the legal documents that you sign in order to work, you agree with and ask the questions and don't be afraid to ask the questions. Empower others because if you empower others, that energy comes back to you Mm -hmm. and collaborate well. Mm -hmm. If you can join a team, jump in, do something and collaborate Mm -hmm. and help the other, help the energy of the team, those kind of things, you're winning. Yeah. I'm glad we have it recorded. I need to re-listen it because they are very good insights. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Totally agree. Cool. Excellent. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Bricks and Bytes podcast. If you are enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate it, and we'll catch you in the next episode.